You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm David Shipley, Opinions Editor at The Post, and I'm pleased to be joined by Judge Michael Ludig. As the clip we just saw made clear, someone who has been at the center of these monumental events. Judge Ludig, welcome. Thank you, David. It's it's an honor for me to be here today with you and the Washington Post Live. Well, let's let's start. What was uh, what was your reaction to the indictment? Has it has it evolved over the last several days? I, I'll answer that second question second. Uh, first, as to your first question, the indictment, um, David. The former president forced this indictment, this prosecution, and and, and this trial uh, on the nation um, for his own selfish, uh, personal, and political ambitions. This indictment would have never come had Donald Trump not wanted it to come on any given day since January 6, 2021, the former president could have avoided and prevented this this indictment. As far as we can tell, he wanted to be prosecuted in order that he could run for the presidency in 2024, essentially on the, the platform that he had in fact won the 2020 election and he would prove to the American people that he had, uh, that that election had been stolen from him uh, by re-winning the White House in 2024. Um, Notwithstanding that the former president actually forced this prosecution, uh, this, this prosecution and this trial, this historic trial uh, of a President of the United States, for the first time in American history, for the grave offenses of uh, attempting to overturn the, an election that he had lost fair and square, together with the attack on the United States Capitol on January 6, in order to prevent uh, and obstruct the joint session from counting the, the, the electoral votes to determine the presidency of the United States of America. This had to be, David, if lest Donald Trump in the end be allowed to make a mockery out of America, the Constitution of the United States, and the rule of law. Did did you think second, the... Oh. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Judge. To, to I, your I, second I'm... question, my my uh, my important view as to the indictment has not changed in the the several days since the in, in indictment was returned. However, uh, it concerns me gravely, though this was expected, uh, that the former president and his allies uh, have responded to mm-hmm. to the indictment in the way that that they have. Uh, in particular, they they have continued to uh, a, attack 
uh, and assail uh, the institutions of, of American democracy and the institutions of our law uh, and uh, uh, of the rule of law in particular and notably most recently by attacking not just the federal judiciary, David, but the particular federal judges who will be presiding over this historic trial. Now, as I said at the outset, this is comes as no surprise to anyone. It's exactly what we uh, should have expected, even if we didn't, uh, because if you think about it, this was the former president's uh, modus operandi, literally from the, the first day that he uh, assumed the presidency in 2016. Uh, you, you, you will remember, uh, and your viewers will remember, that one of the first things he did was attack the federal judges that were deciding uh, the, the, the cases uh, for his uh, policy initiatives uh, from day one. That, that, that leads me to ask, do you think that these four charges were the right charges to bring? Um, I mean, as a reminder to viewers, the first count, conspiracy to defraud the United States, in this case, to obstruct lawful government functions. The second and third counts, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. And the fourth, conspiracy against rights, a crime to block a privilege secured by the Constitution. Are there approaches that you would have found more durable? No, David. Uh, so let's just take those seriatim. Um, the, the charges that were actually brought uh, were the specific charges uh, that would hold the former president accountable for January 6th and for his effort to overturn the election and obstruct and impede the joint session and the counting of the electoral electoral votes. That's the, that is not only the essence of, of the offenses committed by the former president. In my view, they are the whole of the offenses. The reason I say it that way is this. The only other charge that, that has been discussed, frankly, for two years, but certainly for the past, past year, has been uh, insurrection against the United States of America, uh, which is uh, made a criminal offense under Title 18 USC 2383. Under that offense, David, the former president would not have had to have incited the insurrection on the U.S. Capitol. He merely would have had to aid or assist uh, uh, that insurrection. Nonetheless, that had, had, had Jack Smith charged the former president with, with that offense, insurrection against the United States, uh, he would have been met with the president's defense under the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. uh, as it was, uh, Jack Smith scrupulously wrote around, wrote the indictment around any possible First Amendment defense 
that the president, uh, former president, could have. Uh, in in the language of of the law, what what that means is uh, the president, stand, former president, now stands charged um, only with conduct that uh, offends federal criminal statutes. Indeed, the, the indictment made crystal clear in, in its opening paragraphs that, uh, that, that the president was not being charged in any way whatsoever uh, with respect to or with regard to his First Amendment rights to speak. Uh, to assert that he won the election. That's, that's right. And, 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 uh, and then the only, uh, the only other uh, caveat that I, I would, would, uh, would, would make is as, is as to uh, the, the deprivation of, of, of rights. Uh, that that uh, charge, that count, uh, refers to the deprivation of the right to vote. There is no constitutional right to vote. What that statute, you know, proscribes and, and, and criminalizes in this instance is the former president's efforts uh, to, uh, to ensure that the votes of the American people were not counted. Uh, this, is not, uh, this is not at all uh, the, the, the common ground under that statute which was a civil rights statute, as you know, uh, originally intended to, to target uh, uh, those who would intimidate or harass uh, African-Americans in the United States from voting. Do, um, do you think this trial can happen quickly or will we have to wait until after the election? I, I believe that, that it will happen before the election. And I believe that the uh, the American people have a compelling interest in having that uh, that trial held before the election, and I believe that the federal judiciary uh, will do all within its power to ensure that the trial is held before the election. Incidentally, David, uh, you know the the speedy trial uh, right, as it were. Uh, is a right that, that, that is lodged in the defendant, not the government. It's the defendant who always, David, except in this circumstance, uh, wants a speedy trial of, of the charges against him. Maybe, maybe we could talk for a second, too, about the sort of complete legal universe of Mr. Trump. It, is there a virtue to bringing multiple cases um, in multiple jurisdictions? This is, it's, it's to say nothing, to say that this is, is, is unprecedented in all of history. Not only is, is this the first American uh, prosecution of an American president in, in American history, but uh, as your question presupposes, you know, this president now will be subject to multiple uh, criminal trials, state and federal. Uh, there's never been anything like this uh, in history, and, and there never will be again, frankly, David. This is, this is uh, um, singularly uh, related to 
one man, uh, Donald J. Trump. Well, if we're, but if I we're... am confident that, 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 the, that this particular trial will be held before the election. I believe that, that uh, there will be a, an informal sequencing, if you will, of the multiple trials uh, by the prosecutors and that uh, that under that agreement, uh, tacit agreement, if, if not explicit agreement, uh, this case, which is the, the, the single case of greatest significance to the United States of America, will proceed first uh, and it will proceed before uh, the election of 2024. And, and, and since we're in the realm of the unprecedented, uh, Neil Catchall, the former Solicitor General in, um, in the Post earlier this week, um, made the argument that the uh, United States versus Donald J. Trump should be televised. Uh, do you have a view on that? Uh, Neil Catchall is, is a, a giant in the law uh, today and uh, and I'm very proud to say that he's a he's a dear friend. Uh, the moment I read that op-ed, David, I actually sent uh, Neil a note uh, that said something to the effect that that this is uh, uh, an historic uh, essay in the Washington Post. Uh, so to your question, um, that this is a weighty weighty question uh, in uh, in the federal court system. But I do believe that in this one instance in all of American history uh, that these that, that this trial should be televised or otherwise uh, accessible to the American people. Can you talk for a moment or imagine a world in which Donald Trump is convicted and sentenced? As a jurist, how do you begin to contemplate that? I, I've been contemplating it, deliberating on it, if you will, for two years now. Of course, never knowing to a certainty that the day would come. But as I said, believing that it must come, David. Uh, and so, yes, I, I've thought a great deal about it. Uh, you know, this is a tragic day uh, for America. Uh, and now these, this trial of, of this American president, uh, together with the events of January 6th themselves, uh, now become singularly infamous uh, events uh, in American history. The, the trial will be uh, an embarrassing spectacle uh, to the United States of America. Uh, not only is it the first trial of an American president for grave offenses uh, against the United States, but that man will be uh, on trial uh, during a, a, a presidential campaign uh, in which he himself is again campaigning uh, for the presidency of, of the United States. Uh, never again uh, will the world 
um, be inspired by American democracy in, in the way that it has been for uh, since our founding almost 250 years ago, David. There, none of us could even begin to to write uh, the history that is 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 about to occur uh, over the next uh, year, uh, David. I, I'm curious as as you uh, talk about that, Judge Ludig. Are we are we protected from similar acts in the future? I'm I'm thinking about uh, updates to the Electoral Count Reform Act. Um, do vulnerabilities remain, or do you think that we're in um, a more secure state? Well, we're unmistakably in, in, in a more secure state, uh, if not the most secure state, David, that we we could ever be in. But because no system of governance, not even that of the United States of America, uh, can protect itself unequivocally yeah. from a single person or persons uh, who um, who are determined uh, to bring down uh, American democracy. So, for instance, by way of explanation, I, I testified to the Congress that um, the Constitution of the United States neither contemplates nor accommodates uh, the former president's effort to overturn uh, the 2020 presidential election. And I went on to say uh, uh, to the Congress that had uh, former Vice President Mike Pence uh, 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 acceded to the uh, demands of, of the former president and and overturned the election on January 6th, or for that matter, even delayed it, um, that would have uh, uh, cast the, the United States would have been plummeted uh, into a paralyzing constitutional crisis uh, for the first time in our history. And, 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 and what I meant by the paralyzing constitutional crisis was that literally under the Constitution and the laws of the United States. None, no government official and no branch of our government would have known what to do yeah. or known what its authority was to do. And that includes the Supreme Court of the United States of America. That is a paralyzing constitutional crisis of, of untold dimension and magnitude. Yeah. On that point, I was uh, struck by something that Noah Feldman of Harvard wrote earlier this week, and I'm, I'm just going to read for a second so I don't get it wrong. Um, he suggested that Congress should pass a law against election interference, and he said it could be written as simply as it shall knowingly be a crime to lie about election results with the intent to subvert the legitimate outcome of a federal election. Um, Jack Smith's indictment 
Noah argued was that the government had to rely on statutes that were designed for other goals. Um, does this suggestion make any sense to you? Uh, at large, yes, David. Specifically, Noah's uh, um, viewpoint that Jack Smith had to rely on uh, statutes uh, that were not written uh, to address this kind of circumstance. That's not uncommon, David. Uh, but what's uncommon is the circumstance. Uh, we, we, we never are able to uh, uh, anticipate all circumstances, and we are almost never able to anticipate these kind of uh, extenuating, uh, extraordinary, uh, existential questions of, of, of constitutional law uh, in, in, in drafting our, our statutes. Uh, so yes, he, he, he's right. On the other hand, not unlike the, 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 the vast expansive provisions of the United States Constitution, these statutes today that Jack Smith has charged the president with violating, um, they do accommodate these extraordinary circumstances. There, there, there will be no argument possible, for instance, on appeal from any conviction that uh, that the president uh, was wrongly charged under any of these particular statutes. Um, I, I want to shift just for a bit from the judicial to the political or to the human, um, I think it can be argued that you probably wrote the most consequential Twitter thread in American history. And uh, by that, I mean, in just a few tweets, um, you gave Vice President Pence an intellectual and a legal framework uh, for explaining that President Trump's theory of throwing out votes was flat out wrong. Um, thinking of that moment, I couldn't help but think what it would have been like to be sitting in a room as the Federalist Papers were being written. And I was wondering if you could talk a moment or two about how you constructed those tweets, where you were, what was going through your mind, what you left on the floor, how in several precise expressions of vital constitutional thought, you um, sent this message out to the world. Thank you very much for that question, David. Uh, first, uh, I, I would say, as I've said repeatedly for two years, um, it was the highest honor of my life that the Vice President of the United States uh, asked me to, to to assist him yep. uh, in, in the discharge of his constitutional responsibilities on January 6th. These were not my responsibilities. Uh, and what I did is, is not an act of heroism in any, any sense at all, but it was an honor that he turned to me. As you know, 
I've had the great privilege, and, and that's the way I think of it, to have served in, in some of the highest uh, roles and positions in, in, the, in the United States government in Washington, D.C. for 40 years now. Uh, in all of those positions, uh, I have been thinking about uh, the ultimate issues of, of, of constitutional governance in America. And in many, many instances, David, I've had the greatest privilege actually to address those issues myself you know, personally in either writing uh, or, uh, or, or the spoken word. But the point is, is that for better or worse, and, and from my standpoint, it's, it's, it's better, um, I have been thinking about these kinds of issues uh, my entire life, and you know, maybe embarrassingly to say, little else but these kinds of issues. So uh, no one could have ever expected January 5th, in my case, to arise. Um, but I had been thinking about January 5th, my entire life, uh, professional life, David. So when that call came, the, the final call on the morning, early morning of, of January 5th, I knew what I wanted to say. And I knew what needed to be said. Uh, so as, as you know, that it was a series of rapid fire calls from the vice president's counsel and, and dear friend of mine, uh, Richard Cullen, that culminated in, 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 in the tweet. But uh, before I went were, down were you to sitting my- at your desk? Were you sitting at your desk? Did you have the constitution there or some other document? What were you, you know, it was, it's, it's always fascinating to find out how these things actually take form. The, the first way I would answer that question, David, is that I, I knew that my moment for the country had arrived. Mm -hmm. I understood the momentous gravity of the moment. And I knew that, that I had an obligation to do it and I had an obligation to do it perfectly for the country. And thankfully, I was ready for that moment. So as I was about to say, uh, you know, among the three or four rapid fire calls that, that maybe took uh, 20 minutes total, um, I drafted verbatim uh, what, uh, what, you, what the world saw in the tweet. Uh, on my iPhone, sitting in my breakfast room, uh, having a cup of coffee, and uh, uh, and then when the final call from Richard came, uh, and he and he asked me, "Have you thought of anything that you can do?" And he had previously said, uh, "We have to get your voice out across the country immediately," and I had told him, "I had no earthly idea how how to do that." So in the final call of success, successive calls, he said, have you thought of anything yet? 
And I said, well, I suppose I could tweet something, but I don't know how to tweet. And uh, Richard said, this is perfect. Tweet right this moment if you can. And I said, Richard, uh, I, I don't know how to tweet is what I just told you. And he said, we have no time left, Judge. You must tweet this now. So I hung up, I went downstairs to my office uh, and uh, um, just on the way down thinking what on earth, how, how on earth can this, this is even possible? And, uh, and, and the first thing I did was, the only thing I knew how to do was to transpose the, the iPhone text to a Word document on my uh, laptop because I knew how to, to work with Word documents. And I knew how to break that uh, that long, long text into uh, threads of 140 or 160 or 180 characters. I had no idea what it was. Um, and then uh, I had asked my son, uh, tell me right now how, how to tweet a thread or I didn't know those words, you know, of course, how to yeah. tweet a thread. And, and, and he said, uh, uh, Dad, open your email. Uh, uh, I, I sent you the official Twitter thread instructions, and I hung up with my son uh, and 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 tried to master those as quickly as possible. Uh, read the 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 uh, the tweet thread multiple times uh, for not just errors but fundamental errors of historical import. And then uh, as an act of faith, David, I pushed the tweet button, uh, not knowing even what this was all about uh, and, and never even imagining that, frankly, anyone at all would ever see it. I had only opened my tweet account, Twitter account a few weeks prior, uh, and my first tweet was in response to a, um, Adam Liptak article in the New York Times. and. Uh, and I, I ended up literally talking to five of the nation's Supreme Court reporters uh, of, over the course of five hours to tweet that first tweet. And uh, so I had no idea. And then uh, I tweeted it. Uh, and about 10 minutes later, Richard Cullen called me and, and said something to the effect that, Judge, uh, your tweet is on the front page of the New York Times. And uh, I just said to him, uh, David, uh, I said, Richard, just leave me alone. Um, it, it, this was so far beyond my comprehension. I knew something. I knew at that point something was, was afoot. I didn't know what, and I, frankly, I didn't care. And and uh, and and that's that's the story of of the tweet. I mean, uh, Twitter and Monumental rarely go together, but this is. Um... This is again uh, takes us once more into the realm of the uh, of the unprecedented. But the, you know, as the as the indictment made clear, Mike Pence was under tremendous pressure. Um, but you must have felt it too, especially after you pressed that button. Um, how has your life changed since hitting the button? Um, I imagine friendships have been disrupted. The uh, for me that day, 
uh, was the, the greatest in that moment, was the greatest intellectual and emotional uh, experience in, 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 a, in a life that's been very intellectual and, and emotional. Um, I understood the profound gravity of, of the moment, but I also, to your question, I understood the gravity of the moment for the, for the country first, and then second only uh, for the Vice President of the United States. Uh, I could not, and I have not been able to, to, to think um, to this day of, of a greater pressure that could be put on uh, a public official uh, uh, in America than the pressure that was, was put on uh, Vice President Pence on, on, on January 6th. Um, in, in that regard, uh, I, I, I want to say this. Uh, uh, I, di I did not know Vice President Pence uh, before January 6th. Uh, I, I had never met him and never spoken to him. Uh, and uh, I've never met him or spoken to him to this day except once the vice president called me in in the morning of january 7th uh i was down at uh, the ups store with my wife who needed to mail a package and uh, uh i said uh, uh i was just waiting at the door while she mailed the package and i got a call that said spam in all caps united states uh I would never answer that typically, but I had nothing else to do, so I just uh, answered it. And when I answer a call, you know, like that, as as all of us, I don't say anything, because because it's usually a recording and it's prompted by by your voice. So I said nothing for seemingly a long time, and uh, and then a voice said, "Is this Judge Ludig?" And I said, "Yes, it is." And the voice said, "Please hold for the Vice President of the United States." Um, and I um, froze uh, with emotion. Uh, I scurried to the car and got in so I could have privacy. And uh, as soon as I sat down in the, in the driver's seat of the car, uh, Vice President said, uh, Judge, this is Mike Pence. Uh, and uh, I just want to thank you for what you did uh, yesterday. Um, and uh, I will not say anything more about his side of the conversation, yeah. but I said, uh, uh, Mr. Vice President, I, uh, it was the greatest honor of my life that you asked me to, to do what I did yesterday. Uh, and uh, I know that I can't understand the pressure that you were actually under, but I tried to understand the pressure uh, when I tweeted what I did. It um, uh, and and then and I'm I'm sorry I'm just long winded. Your, your your second part of your question was how has it changed my life? Uh, it's um, it's dramatically changed my my life, uh, David. Um, but it was uh, it, it, it's not just changed it. Uh, today, you know, I I say you know, euphemistically that that. Um, 
now for, for the rest of history, um, you know, my life will be defined and, and known only as beginning on January 5th, 2021. Um, but David, that, that's okay with me. Um, I, it was such a high honor to me from the nation uh, that if that's the only thing that's ever known about me, uh, I will be pleased and satisfied. Let, let, let me ask you one more question out of that, Judge, um, because it speaks to uh, the pressure that you felt that Vice President Pence was under. Um, you were on CNN this morning. I just want to read one thing quickly. Uh, There's no Republican Party to counter the Democratic Party in the country. And for that reason, American democracy is in grave peril. You, you said that this morning. Um, these indictments have in certain ways increased Donald Trump's political strength, or at least they haven't lessened it. Can you just speak for a moment to me, say that if I, if my view, as someone whose views have not changed, we're seeing together in our backyards across a fence, my thoughts about the president haven't changed given all that has transpired. Um, how can you persuade me to change my mind if I haven't changed it already? And it feels strange to even ask this question, but how do you make the case for the rule of law? Well, I've thought about this too, David, uh, at, at, at great length and was recently, very recently asked by, by someone publicly to answer it. And, 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 and this, was, this was my answer. Um, in America, we, we have a constitution and we Americans live uh, in, in accordance and, and by that constitution. And that constitution provides for the, the resolution of all our disputes small and large, but it especially, and most importantly, provides for the, 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 the resolution of the greatest disputes that can occur in, in the United States of America. In particular, those disputes, depending on the nature of them, are resolved by the executive, the Congress, or the executive and Congress, or the Supreme Court of the United States. In the situation where the dispute is to be ultimately resolved by the Supreme Court of the United States and or the federal judiciary as a whole, then those decisions are the final decision in America on that dispute. And when the courts or the Supreme Court finally decide those momentous questions of constitutional law in America, we Americans accept those decisions. It doesn't mean at all that we have to agree. And many, many times we don't. 
And incidentally, David, any Supreme Court justice should say and be willing to say, we may get it wrong sometimes. We're, we're, not, uh, we're not angels. We just do the best we can. And that's their decision. My point is this. What's going on with those who will not accept the election and those people who either did or favor or approve of the attack on the United States Capitol is under, under our Constitution an act of revolution. And the intellectuals that are behind, conservative intellectuals that are behind all of this, that's exactly the way they articulate it. Here's the problem. They go back to the Declaration of Independence and they say, they point to the passages in the Declaration of Independence that say, you know, there, there will come a time when the abuse of power is so great as to be intolerable. Of course, that's correct. And we Americans came to that point almost 250 years ago. And we had a revolution against the king and we created a new nation and a new constitution to govern that nation. It is not, it is not possible and it's not right now to be talking about a revolution against the American government. But that's what the, the, the intellectuals behind this radically conservative movement are saying and would want. Well, thank you, Judge Liddick. That was a wonderful conversation, and I think it could happily keep going for another day or two. So I hope we can have you back. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, David, and thank you, Washington Post. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.